Let's pray. Father God, with the image of the sun through the clouds and the words of that song, I pray right now, precious Lord, that you will break our hearts as we think about those beautiful babies and beautiful people that were on this stage proclaiming their faith for you, God. And how every single day you surround us with hints and loud booms that you're there. That every day, Lord, you reach out to us and you knock at the door saying to us, I'm here. And so God, as we read through the Psalms this morning, I pray that in a unique way for each one of us, you would let us know that you are here that you would speak boldly the message that we need to hear this morning. For we are your people, and these are your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm always reminded of, uh, especially at this time of year, of how God is just really awesome. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good. And and I want to tell you a story this morning because I think As an outdoorsman, I get to spend a lot of time in the wilderness. Uh, I've been to the Everglades. I've kayaked through some of the most beautiful settings in nature. I've hiked some of the most beautiful settings in nature. I've been to the the tundras and permafrost areas. I've been to deserts. And I have to tell you that our God is a very creative and, and incredible God. If you've ever seen outside the four walls of Pittsburgh, you've seen the way that the world is just very different. We're very blessed to live in this very green and lush and beautiful area. But even deserts can be beautiful as you fly over one for four hours. Have you ever had the privilege of standing on a 2,000-foot rock face looking out over creation? God is an awesome God. And I use the word awesome in the purest sense of the word, not the watered-down you know, 90s awesome dude word, but the awesomeness of God. In 2007, I had the privilege of having my heart broken as I was watching a couple of different things regarding the status of water in the world. And if you didn't know this, most of the world actually lives without running water. Uh, And a majority of that lives without clean water at that. Studying in Africa a little bit, I found that that the average person will walk as many as five miles in a day just to have water for their family. And so as a young guy, I began to have a broken heart for this whole concept of water. And I remember I put my two-year-old son in the bathtub, and I turned the water on, and I began to weep. I couldn't explain it, but I knew that God was breaking my heart over this issue of clean water in the world. Here I have the ability to turn water on like that to wash the filth from my child when people will walk miles and miles and miles risking their lives for a little water to drink. God had broken my heart in such a way I was moved to action. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't do anything until I put feet to the passion that he put in my heart. And I found myself a couple months later walking around in Kenya. I teamed up with a, with a, a group of people who were heading over to Africa uh, because they were, we were thinking about starting a missions organization that really focused on teaching people how to do microenterprising and, 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 and how to make, make sustainable clean water 
And basically our goal was to find six villages in Kenya to kind of start this thing in. But being that we were a group of guys just starting out, we teamed up with a couple other of groups who were heading to Africa for different reasons. And one of the, the peoples that we headed up with, or went with, uh, was a guy by the name of Bob and his wife Dawn and their two children. We, we didn't meet our crew until we actually got to Kenya. Uh, so from the flight from Amsterdam to Kenya, I remember I was sitting on the plane. It's a rather long flight. Uh, that's an understatement. And playing my little PlayStation Portable. And there was a young kid sitting next to me playing his. So I asked him if he wanted to link up. We were playing the same video game. And it turns out that it was Bob and Don's son. And so I started having conversations with Bob and Don about what they did. We're photographers, and, and they were there on behalf of a very famous person who has a lot of interest in Africa, and their job was to take photos of everything that they saw. And they were tell, I was talking to them about who I was and God a little bit, and they didn't really tend to believe in God. They, they had shared that with me. And so, you know, we just, well, it's nice to meet you, and we went to Africa. While in Africa, when you land in Nairobi... It's like landing in the city of Pittsburgh, except for you add grass and cows to the main street. It was a very different setting. It was a very depressed setting. People sitting everywhere. Man hours just wasted because there just weren't jobs. And I remember thinking, God, you've truly blessed me by allowing me to live where I live. And as we traveled the entire nation of Kenya, we went from one place to another. We went from city to slums. And then we went out into the back country. And I've got to be really honest with you. I think God wanted to do something major in my heart. Because as we traveled to a region called the Rift Valley, anybody ever heard of that? It's this beautiful region, beautiful region, where you have these massive cliffs on two sides. And if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. You drive up to the peak of one of these, the, the, the rift here. You drive up to the peak, and, and the Kenyans have these rickety old broken down wooden, I don't know what they are, but they're not platforms. But they let you go out and they walk on these, and you look out. There's a couple thousand feet below you, and it is as if you are God looking out on creation. And I remember the first time I looked out over the rift valley, it took my breath away. And there's Bob and Don, they're right next to us, taking pictures, click, 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 click. As fast as their camera would take pictures, they took pictures. And I just stood in awe of God. We continued to travel, and everywhere we went, whether we met, we're meeting with Maasai or Samburu people, th these people with these beautiful colors, these reds and all this, click, 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 Bob and Don were taking pictures. We came to a place uh, in the northern regions called Lake Naivasha. And as we were coming into Lake Naivasha, I remember seeing these clouds in the sky that looked like pink tornadoes. And I asked the driver, I said, what is that? He said, those are flamingos. Hundreds and thousands of flamingos that swarm a tornado as they fly. I was in awe. I was in awe. And Bob and Don are click, 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 taking pictures. At one point, a cheetah had come out from some brush because we weren't actually driving on roads at this point and took off and Bob literally climbed out of the window of the bus onto the roof of the bus while we're driving to get pictures of these things. Click, 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 click. We came to this place called Baboon Cliff, which was another one of these moments where we looked out over all of creation, it felt like. But this time was very different because we were at this Lake Naivasha. And at Naivasha, it just teemed with wildlife. There were hundreds of giraffes. There were elephants. There were rhinos. There were zebras. There was all kinds of things with antlers that I can't even begin to tell you the names of these things. From gems bucks to impalas. 
There was baboons running all around us. And it's as if for this moment, God plucked us out of our reality and put us into his. St. Patrick refers to these moments in your life as thin places. The moments in your life where you can't tell the difference of where heaven and earth start and stop. And I remember standing on top of this cliff and I didn't hear something that I heard everywhere else. The shutter of cameras. And I looked at Bob and Don and they were click, taking a picture here and there. Later we would go to a place called Kibera. Kibera is a slum. It's one of the poorest slums in the world. And as you walk through Kibera, you literally walk upon debris, the dead, and anything else gross you can possibly imagine. There's not running water. There's no sewage. And for every square mile, there's about 500,000 people that live there. Do that math. No pictures. Silence. For me, I couldn't wait to get out of there. My skin was crawling. I'm just being honest with you. And I remember when we left, I hit my knees and I thanked God for where he has placed me in life. Because through that turmoil and all that we had seen, I had seen the splendor of God. Later that night, I would have a conversation with Bob and Don. And these words would come out of their mouth. Surely there is a God. After all that we have seen and all that we've gone through, there has to be a God. And where we find ourselves this morning in Psalm 8 is a similar place. How many of you in this room have had that moment in your life where you've gone out into creation and you've paused just long enough to drink in the aroma of God, whether that's the breeze blowing against you while you're hunting in a tree stand or whether you're paddling in a boat down a river or you're just taking your dog for a walk and you're looking at the foliage changing colors. We've all had those moments, had we? Where we've just felt the presence of our almighty creator, God. Amen? Let me hear if you're out there. Amen? And his creation is gorgeous. It is beautiful. I remember as a kid, I had these little turtles. You can, you can buy them all over the place. You're not supposed to in Pennsylvania, but people do anyway. There's these little miniature turtles. And you flip them over and you look at the belly and the detail in these turtles. The detail in their fingernails. Dads, you know what I'm talking about with this statement. When you go over to that newborn baby for the very first time, and the only thing you can look at is that fingernail. And you put your hand in that little one's hand. And for a moment, fathers, we get to understand what it would have been like to be God, to have that baby, to just hand him over. I truly believe that every father understands the grace of God differently when they have a child and mother. We talk about the majesty and the glory of God and all of creation and how we can see it around us. But where David leads us to today is absolutely beautiful. And I want you to turn to Psalm 8 with me right now. He says this, and, and I'm not going to get real far because I'll have to stop. He says, O oh Lord, O oh Lord. Now, this is where the English language has really us, let us down as a people because that phrase, O Lord, O Lord, in the Hebrew language comes from the word Yahweh. And the word Yahweh is, is an intimate, passionate name for God. So when we have in our text, O Lord, my God, or, or O Lord, my God, 
uh, excuse me, wrong one. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. It is such a watered-down version of what is really being stated there. When David cries out to Yahweh, if you're a Jewish person, you know this, that comes with some severe weight because this is the name that God himself referred to himself as, which means I am, in Exodus 3 when he was on the mountain with Moses. And so when David says these words, O Lord, our Lord, he is crying out to God in the most intimate way possible by referring to him as Yahweh. Yahweh, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. Here's David standing perhaps on the very same balcony that he looked upon Bathsheba. He could be standing out there looking at the stars. He says, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. He says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. You babies helped me out great this morning. Because they're murmuring and they're crying and they're weeping. What this portion of scripture is telling us, that in the murmurings of a child, the praises that can come from a child's lips, the praises that comes from a baby, an infant, which is the lowest possible state of a human. Do you know that? We're so vulnerable. We're so defenseless. We can't feed ourselves. We have to be held. We have to be changed. In the most vulnerable state that a human can be in, what David is saying is here is we can cry out to God and the cries of the most vulnerable of humanity will silence the opposition of God. The Bible says later, in our murmuring, in our groans, he hears our cries and he will answer us. In our lowest of state, our praise can silence the foes of God. Here's David standing on this balcony looking to the heavens and he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful? Here's David looking at the sky, probably a beautiful night. I remember in Kenya, I have never seen the stars like I saw when I was in Africa. And for us, a lot of times we go to the beach, you know, Pittsburghers, we love to go to the Outer Banks. And we stand on the sand and we look at the sand and we think of all the individual grains of sand that it must take to make that thing up or the way that the ocean goes or the birds. And we have these moments in creation, these intimate moments of God where we come face to face with this question of humanity, this this worldview question of, of who are we, God? That in all of creation, in all of the animals, hundreds, millions, billions of animals, the ants, you think of microorganisms, watch the Discovery Channel sometime and find out the bajillions of microorganisms that are out there on this planet. You think of all of the things in creation, all of the stars, the beauty of the ocean, the beauty of coral reefs, and you think about how the bird can fly and you think about all of that stuff. It's very easy for us as people to say, God, who are we among all of creation? What matter do I really have? Do I, am I really significant? You look at the platypus, the kangaroo, the dinosaur, the birds of the air, but yet God set us apart. Who am I that God is mindful of? He goes on to say in verse 4 that the son of man, that you care for him. That is a direct reference to our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He has set the Son of Man, fully God, fully man, that He will send to die for our sins. He sent Christ to be able to relate to us, to put feet on the earth. See, here's the, here's the deal. We're made in the image of God. But that doesn't mean God looks like us. The truth of the matter is, God probably isn't a, a two-legged, two-armed thing. I mean, God is a spirit. The reason why God created humans the way he created us to look was so that our finite minds could grasp something. God's greatness is far beyond our comprehension. God is a spirit. He's fully God, fully man through the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is the Father. He sent his Son to die for us. Who are we to deserve such a sacrifice? Why not puppies? Why not kittens? They're cuter than we are. Amen? He sent them for us. He goes on to say this. You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Well, there's our reason. Do you realize, people, that when God made you, he made you on purpose, intentionally. I don't care how much of a surprise you were to your parents or how much of an accident you've been told that you are. You are made on purpose for a specific reason, intricately woven together in your mother's womb by the Father himself. Amen? You are on purpose. And when he made you, he made you in the reflection of God. You want to talk about the splendor of God? You want to talk about the majesty of his creation? You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to dive to the deepest reaches of the sea. You simply need to look to your right or left and look at the splendorous creations of God in this room. You simply need to go home and look in the mirror. And some of you might go, oh my goodness. But you're no better than God and God doesn't make broken stuff. So when you look in the mirror, you should say, thank you, God. Because, please clap for that. Because he made you as a direct reflection of himself, slightly lower. The scripture tells us that. And we saw how Adam and Eve handled a little bit more knowledge, didn't we? It's the sin. And see, we were made in the image of God, so it's like we're these little God mirrors. And when Adam and Eve sinned, that mirror was shattered in each and every one of us. All of the pieces are still there. They're all there. How many of you have ever gone on a mission trip or a service project? And when you're serving God or doing God's work, you can honestly say to yourself, I feel so alive in those moments. I feel like I'm really who I should be. I hear that from students all the time when we come back from mission trips. Or yesterday we served on the, on the uh, south, north, southeast, and west side of Pittsburgh. We were all over the city doing service projects. And the kids say, oh, I just feel so close to God. It's because in those moments you're closer to being who God made you to be Then we're doing things of this world. And each one of us is made in the image of God the creator. And what happened was, is when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins on the cross, and when we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we begin to follow him, we confess our sins, those pieces of that mirror start coming back together. And we're being sanctified. And one day we'll be justified. It'll be just as if we had never sinned through the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get that? One day we will be the exact replicas, the images that God wanted us to be. 
And so here's David standing on this rooftop in awe of creation, having these introspective moments. Think about the life that David led from slaying Goliath to fighting wild animals and killing them with his bare hands to the letdowns that he had with God. Here he is having this intimate moment with God saying, who am I that you would bring me glory and honor? We've got to be very careful in this moment not to confuse glory and honor with a Stanley Cup or some trophy on our head or, or honor is some special jacket we get to wear. Make no mistake about it, church. The glory and honor that has been put onto us is grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he has provided us the opportunity to spend an eternity with him and not to forever dwell in the pits of hell because of sin. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honor. On to verse 6. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. We see this in the Genesis account, Genesis 1.26. God created everything and he said, hey, everything is good. But he said something different when he created man. He said, we created them in our image, referring to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are created to be image bearers of God. Not only were we created to be image bearers of God, we were created to carry the message of Christ. And not only were we created to carry the message of Christ, we were created to be the stewards of his creation. That doesn't mean we've we got to turn into these ultra green machines and, and you know, save a tree type people, but we are responsible for how we act and what we do on this earth. We're responsible for how we tend God's garden while we're here. And that includes the people around us. We are God's creation. We are God's workmanship. We're created in his image. We're created to bear the message of Jesus. And we're created to be stewards of his creation. David brings us back to a familiar phrase, Yahweh, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The true splendor of God, are you ready, is you. And when you're satisfied being something less than what God has made you, you're not living up to the potential that God wants you to. When you're satisfied not being the reflection of God, that breaks his heart. Do you realize through this statement, God is rooting for us. We put our faith in God. We put our hope in the Lord. And we stand and we look at a bunch of trees and we go, oh God, you're pretty awesome. But when he sees God's people doing God's work like he did to Job, God stands up in heaven and he says, look at my people, they're awesome. It's much better to be on that boat, amen, than standing at a tree going, hey, look, it went from green to orange. That is majestic. That is powerful. That is awesome. But let's not settle for this world. Let's start setting our sights a little higher for the things of eternity, amen? You can clap for that. I want to close with a statement from a, from a commentary I, I read. It's just a really powerful statement in reference to this psalm. And this is from the NIV commentaries. It says, this psalm opens up a whole new window on who we really are. We see ourselves as weak, feeble beings. But God sees us as a little lower than himself. Although we are rebellious sinners, God in himself, excuse me, although we are rebellious sinners, God in Christ has provided a way to change our names. We are no longer enemies of God, but friends of God. 
Christ has prepared the way for us to be known as children of God. We are the splendor of God. More than the earth, more than the stars. If you want to see the splendor of God, look in the mirror and realize just how much God loves you. At the end of our Kenya trip, I'm happy to say that Bob and Don gave their lives to Christ. Because in that trip, they saw the splendor of God. Then they realized that they were the splendor of God. This morning, church, maybe you're not happy with who you are. I'm here to tell you God doesn't make junk. You're the splendor of the King. And if you're valuable enough to Him, for Him to send His Son, Jesus, to die on a cross, that you could forever dwell with Him, then you're important to God. All you have to do is receive that gift. Christ came to tear down the wall of sin. And it's funny because a lot of times we stand behind it trying to hold it up. When God really wants it to, just let it fall down and he's waiting for you. Maybe this morning that's you. Maybe this morning something in you is just welling up. Maybe God is doing something in your heart because you're not letting go of something. I don't know. But in a moment, we're going to have a beautiful opportunity to come together as a community and join in the taking of the Lord's table. I'm looking at a splendor right now. I hope you could see what I see in God's creation and the details he put into every one of you. My prayer is that each one of you will become exactly what God intended for you. Father God, we love you and we thank you. You're a tremendous, splendid God. We are not deserving of the grace and mercy that you have put upon us, Lord. But we do thank you for it. Lord Jesus, work in our hearts. Work in our souls. Help us to not settle for being earthly things. But help us to be the the, the people of splendor that you see us as, God. We submit to you this morning these things, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray.